My name is Pastor Doug Logan, the role I play here at Epiphany Church Plant resident and Connections pastor. We're going to get into that a little bit today and try to unravel and unpack that, but um, it seems like I've been here a minute, but I'm always excited about the love that I get from Epiphany folk, because I'm one of them now, amen? So I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see baptisms and be a part of it, and um, man, it's just good to be here. And having a good time this summer with Sam, Sam Cornette worked with me as we sought to engage the, um, the block, sought to engage from here. We went from here to about 25th Street to Hank Gathers, and then back the other way down to about 10th Street, all the way across Broad. And we had a good time just getting to know, getting to meet people, share the gospel, hear their stories, but mainly we just listened. And from that listening, we were laying out and seeking to... Um, Seeking God and him giving us clarity as the assignment in which Pastor E gave us. And um, in that, we found um, some great folk that just wanted a hug. Amen. And we got to talk with them. And some of them came to know Jesus as Savior. So we want to put steroids on that. Y'all can give the Lord praise for that. We want to put some steroids on that. So Pastor E had us to put together um, this connections dynamic. I call it the ministry of connectivity at Epiphany. So one of the backdrop texts that I want to unpack was one of the backdrop was 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 the platform from when from wherewith I thought and thought through and bounced off and put together this proposal. Now I'm going to get to that after, but first. Let's dive right in to, into Luke chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 15. I'm going to deal with a lot of the text, but we want to start at, start at chapter 14 as we seek to um, dive deeper into this understanding of connections. And I think this is a great passage for that. So let me read for your hearing. And I'm starting here in Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14 starting at verse 15. I'm going to read, pray, and we're going to get right in. Amen? Amen. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I will go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Mm. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to a servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. I know that's good. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel, somebody say compel, 
compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Simple title, Jesus is here. The banquet is ready and there's still room at the table. See, Jesus had received an invitation from one of the chief Pharisees. If we jumped up to chapter, in chapter 14 to the top, they invited him over to set him up for some, they actually wanted to challenge his theology. That's, that's hilarious to me. You want to challenge God's theology. Obviously, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. And, and so in having him over at this party, the, the chief, one of the chief Pharisees had him over. Now, there's something interesting about these parties. See, these were the who's who of Jewish society. See, in, in, according to the custom, a chief Pharisee cat, he would have this party, he would have it catered, and wouldn't be no cheap catering, and it wouldn't be no mom and pop joint. It would be some exclusive gourmet catering. And in that exclusive gourmet catering, his guest list would be off the charts. We wouldn't be invited. If he was alive, Michael Jackson, see, he'd be invited to something like that. See, the soiree would be for the rich and the famous. And Jesus masterfully takes his time and walks them through the reality of who he is, the reality of the banquet, and the reality is that they can come. They can come to the table. There's still room. Jesus had been getting in with the folk, and he uses this parable, and he uses multiple stories along this passage to unpack and unravel, to make it clear that there's room, and through Christ, God's plan will be accomplished. At the end of this, what, what Christ is ultimately saying at the end of each story is that he's here, and his plan will be accomplished. Amen? First idea is we must be people of radical welcome. Now, this ties also into our connectivity ministry. We must be a people of radical welcome. While he was at the Pharisee's house on the Sabbath for dinner, Jesus issued multiple challenges to the guests and particularly to the host of the party. This chief Pharisee, um, he, 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 first he challenges their guest list. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. He said, he said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So he challenged their, who they're inviting to their guests. And then he goes in verse 14 and he challenges, he correlates that in verse 14 to the resurrection of the Messianic banquet. Look at verse 14. And you will be blessed because you cannot, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus says, look, Jesus says, I can't move around. Jesus said, when you have these parties, I know you've invited folk for status. And you've invited folk, not even for the food, but to floss and to show off how blazing your pockets are. But if you really want to do this party right, you need to invite this group of folk. And he says, don't invite them. Now, don't, don't hear Jesus saying you, you can't invite your friends and your family. He got it in with his, with his friends all the time. He's challenging now this slant from this invitation where they're challenging God's 
theology. Amen. So as we continue to look, you need to notice, I want to mention this. It was vital for where you sat at these parties. See, the closer you sat to the host, the higher your status was. So many of these questions flowed out from the top of the hootie-doos. I call them the hootie-doos um, at the party. So Jesus' encouragement here is that you got to invite folk who have nothing to offer back. At Epiphany Fellowship, we must start to invite folk who have nothing to offer back. we got to invite folk who haven't read and listened to every podcast that's banging online right now. We got to invite folk that's struggling to read. We got to invite different folk to the table because we so want to see any and all receive and accept Christ as Savior and be worshipers of him in spirit and truth. So one guy at the table, just look what he says in verse 15. So one who was reclined at the table with him heard these things and said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now he's responding to Jesus saying, for you will be repaid, in verse 14, at the resurrection of the just. So this dude says, the resurrection of the just, yo, blessed is he that will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It was a little slanted, though. What he was kind of saying was this. Blessed is me and people like me, Jews, who are going and have the privilege to eat in the heavenly banquet with the Messiah because none of those lame people, Jesus, you talking about going to be there. None of them blind folk, none of them broke folk, they not going to be there. So blessed is me. It was an arrogant worship. It was an arrogant declaration. And it was a stab at what Jesus had said. While sounding devout, this statement assumes that God's kingdom is a distant abstraction rather than as Jesus had been teaching a present reality brought about by his coming. See, the reality is Jesus was there. He was there. So they're acting like this kingdom of heaven is some far abstract phenomenon. No! Jesus is at this banquet, sitting right next to them. In the Pharisees' mind, the outcast that Jesus said to invite would not have been welcomed to a fancy dinner. They surely would not have been invited to God's banquet in his mind. So Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, begins to teach about God's banquet in the eternal kingdom. Again, we must embrace the hard to embrace for the sake, the cause, and in advance of God's kingdom. Not just people like us who talk like us, who got the same music on the iPod as us. Maybe folk don't have an iPod. Maybe they don't have a cell phone. And, and they have nothing to offer back. They have nothing to give you back. Maybe they're draining a little bit. Maybe they're exhaustive, exhausting to you. They're worth it. Because God has called this. To this you were called. We've been called to that. So we must connect them to Christ. We must connect them to Christ, and we must do that with our life and our lips. In this world, amidst a society of closed doors and high fences. See, as we walk through North Philly, folk, when we would invite them to church or invite them to anything, they just didn't feel like they should come. They was like, first thing they would say was, like, y'all get dressed up? I ain't got no clothes. 
And then the fact that we were there, it was almost intimidating. They're not used to seeing regular old church folk saying, how you doing? Asking them, what do you think? One time we said to one of the guys, what do you think? He said, what? He couldn't believe we was asking him what he thought. He's only lived in North Philly 42 years, and nobody seems to ever ask him that question. He said that. Nobody's really ever asked me that. And he had a little bit he thought about. I was encouraged by that. But he had a sense that this was it. Diamond Street was it. The hood was it. Drugs, guns was it. He didn't have a vision or an idea to move beyond that. And yet me and Sam were inviting him. And he loved it. I didn't have any special nothing. I had on a t-shirt and some jeans, some dirty K-Swiss. But we had the love of God and we just prayed with him. That dude was like, yo, y'all coming back tomorrow? I was like, doc, I don't come back twice unless y'all got some food up in this piece. I'm saying that to say, Jesus challenges us to go beyond our comfort zone, and for some, our color zone, to people who aren't like us. And we got to consider people in need worth our love and worth our time. As we invest in this neighborhood, we must create an atmosphere of grace that makes room and gives space for thought and decision. Sometimes we can hem people up too quick. They get here in an hour, and we're already challenging them on justification. We're hemming them up like, yo, did you memorize that podcast? No, no I don't even, what, I don't even have a computer. <laughs> we must make an atmosphere of grace that makes room and gives space for people to make a decision, to contemplate, to think about all this worship, about all this love that we seek to give. Let them bask in that for a second. We must be better than the bar. We got to be better than the club and the streets. We must speak. We must invite. We must pray for. We must follow up that we might radically welcome people. At this party, the guests, the hosts, and the religious folks rejected Christ by their actions and their attitude. It should have been a worship gathering. What they should have did instead of challenges his theology is they should have bowed down and worshiped the king. They had the king in their house and they wouldn't worship him. What an opportunity to worship the king. He was there, but they'd rather fight with him about who he was and ultimately reject who he was. They should have been singing praises to Yahweh for sending his son. They should have been rejoicing that through Christ they can be invited to the throne room of God. But they didn't. The host in his passage had improper motives. He wanted to have the hootie dudes at his party that he might stack up his status. His status. It was selfish. It was prideful. And it was, it, was, it was arrogant motives. We must take our lead from Jesus and welcome the outcast of the kingdom, all those who have not placed their faith in Christ, and our motive, all those who have not placed their faith in Christ, and our motive to invite folk must be based on them being image bearers of God. Not because of what we think we can get out of them. And I'm challenging you here. 
in terms of connectivity, sometimes there's cats that know some Bible. And sometimes we want to disciple people who know something because it might give us some shine when they start looking healthy in the gospel. Sometimes you got to teach a joker how to read while you're discipling him when you, when you serve in North Philadelphia. Sometimes you're going to have to go to ESL. You're going to have to go to GED. You're going to have to go to all type of stuff when you walk people through. But this is how... This is what we've been called to. We must be a people of radical welcome. Not cute, not soft, not sweet, but radically welcoming people. Just like Christ radically worse welcomed us. Broken, raggedy, lying, adulterous, fornicating, pornography-watching folk just like us. He radically welcomed us at the cross when he died and laid down his life. That was a radical welcome. That was radical, Doc. He, it wasn't just a quick phone call and a message. He radically sent a message to the world that I love you so doggone much, I'm going to die a filthy death. You're invited, radically welcome at the table. I'm glad about that. I didn't get invited to a lot of parties, but I'm so glad Jesus invited me to his banquet. Second idea, I got to keep moving. We must have and cultivate authentic missional passion. We must have and cultivate as a covenant community authentic missional passion. Look at verse 17. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything now is ready. According to the custom of that day, the wealthy folk, they would invite people. It was a dual invitation. See, in this dual invitation, they would send out an invitation, and then the man of the house would have his servant slaughter up enough food to cook from the RSVPs. And then, you know how all these folk get married, y'all know who y'all RSVP because y'all got to pay $42 a plate, so if you ain't coming, you ain't going to have a plate for them because you want to waste your money, amen? So this is not much different. So he would slaughter the stuff and get ready and then he would do it. It was a dual invitation. And then right when the food was ready, I'm looking at Tommy and, and Fatima right now. And um, he would send the guy, his servant, around to tell them, okay, we've invited you. You've RSVP'd. Now the banquet is ready. And what happened in this? There became a bunch of excuses. Look at 18, at these excuses. They all began to make excuses, and they were crazy. Look what he says in verse 18. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. So you're trying to tell me you spent thousands of dollars on a field and never looked at it. We bought a little lot next door, and Pastor E inspected it well. A little lot. So you bought a whole field, and you never checked it. Man, that's a weak excuse. Look at the next one. And that's what I would call the care of this world. Please have me excused. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. So you bought some oxen, didn't even look. You might have bought some goats. You might have bought some pelicans. So you done paid for something, never even looked at it. 
the deceitfulness of riches. The next one, verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I, I ain't mad at him. <laughs> Sound like my wife, Angel. You ain't going tonight. <laughs> Why y'all messing with me? Sound like her, though. The pleasures of this life. And even he could have balanced that because he said he was coming. But it's all right. Turn to Luke 8. Turn to Luke 8, 14. Here's the challenge. Luke 8, 14. Ask for what? Look what the Bible says. I love this. I start at verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time, a testing, and in time of testing, fall away. Verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked mm, by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Each one different, but they all come to the same re result. We have other things to attend to more pressing than this banquet. Nobody is represented as saying, I will not come. All the answers imply, if not for this, I would be there. I challenge you, what's in your way of worshiping God in spirit and truth? What's in your way from living out God's mission and connecting to people that are in such a desperate need? So whatever is pressing or distracting you or moving your focus, I pray that you repent and slaughter it. Get it out the way and worship him and serve him in spirit and truth. Don't let anything hinder your worship to God. Don't let anything block that. But when he calls, say, here I am, Lord. When he calls, say, yes, Lord. I'm broken and raggedy. Moses says I even stutter. But here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Because it's you that's going to go. Verse 24 expresses the reality of their refusal. Back in Luke 14. The reality of their refusal. Look what verse 24 says. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So here's the reality. All those refusers will not taste a biscuit in God's heavenly banquet. They won't even get to smell the oven warming up the greens. They, 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 nothing. They won't get to touch or taste nothing. Man, what an indictment. So what does he do? This is the picture of Jesus coming for the lost sheep of, the lost sheep of Israel and them rejecting him. Though they were the original invites, what, what happens in this parable is the guest list gets expanded. And it goes out to the world. Isn't that good? It, it's, 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 we were grafted in. I'm so glad for that, for that Roman soldier who took the sword and jammed Jesus in his rib. Because I was grafted in. I'm so happy for the reality of him looking on us, the uncovenanted ones. And finding room at his table. And declaring that the banquet is ready. You know, you come into some big-time places and 
I've been with some cats, and you go to the front door, and they say, we're full. But if the right cat comes to the door, they'll find room for Jay-Z. They'll make somebody get up from a table. They'll find room for Donovan McNabb and a lot of other superstars. Aren't you glad the Lord has made room for, for his enemies that are now his friends? Check the guest list. I'm on it. My name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm on the list. Let me in. Move out. I got reservations here. The emphasis here is that there will be a banquet at the end of time. There will be a great feast. But this is hinged on the reality of the graciousness of the host to extend an invitation. God is a gracious host. He's sending out an evite, Doug Logan translation, an eternal life invitation to fallen men. He sent a once and for all e-blast 2,000 years ago at the cross. And now you and I are little notes and reminders that the party is still on and the banquet is ready. As we proclaim to the world in need of the Savior, we call, we scream, will you come? So I say if you're here today and you're exploring or venturing out and wondering about Jesus, my simple call to you is come. Just come. Come. Look at Revelation. I like 20 there. I'm sorry, 22. Look what he says in verse 17 of, of Revelation chapter 22. He says this, The spirit and the bride say, say it with me, y'all, and let the one who hears say, and let the one who is thirsty, let one who desires, who, who desires take the water of life without price. In other words, Come and buy some water with no money. I don't know if you know, but you can't go to that corner store and buy one of them greasy sandwiches without some money. But in God's kingdom, and that one, you'll still be hungry when you get finished and have high blood pressure. But when you come to this water that Jesus offers with no money, you're not robbing the place. You've been invited. You get to drink and never be thirsty. No cholesterol. No diabetes. It's just good old water. It's him. It's his blood. It's his life. We must, in, we must radically, we must, we must have authentic missional passion. Why am I saying this? It's because sometimes we be tired and we walk right past people on our way to that corner store and folk who are walking, who are not walking with the Lord, who live on this block, we walk past them and ignore them to get a sandwich. And sometimes we're out in front and we're hugging one another. Praise God, that's nothing wrong with that. But there's folk walking by. And, and we don't even say hi sometimes. Sometimes. We got to come out of our comfort. We got we to gotta move out and see God's mission over and above our comfort. And we got to glory and revel in the reality that the folk we're walking by, they, when they come, they'll just be with us too. Amen? We just expand the guest list like Jesus. We expand the guest list. 
When I think of reaching North Philly, I realize that we must give them something special. We must give this community something special. We must give away any and everything we can to them as we seek to invest in people. As Epiphany, through the Connection Ministry, we seek to be people investors. And we don't play the stock market to see which person is going to bring the highest return. But we invest in any and all that touch this doggone door. From the door to the floor, we want to missionally engage them. I don't care if they got mismatched shoes. I don't care if they smell like blunts. I don't care if they drunk, halfway talking crazy. Missionally engage them and give them something special. Operative word give, people, churches, organizations, companies, law enforcement, and developers seem to just take from these people. In this community, everybody's come by selling snake oil. Everybody's got the key to life. Everybody's got 10 steps not to be poor. Everybody's got something to offer. That's what we learned on these blocks, was everybody has come and offered something, and it ain't work. And some people dove in fully and was damaged by Christians. Mostly everybody that didn't want to be bothered with Epiphany when we was on the block, their story normally started with this. I used to go to church, but the preacher. I used to go to church, but the deacon. I used to go to church, but you know they. Many people have been wounded and damaged, and they've been sucked dry of energy and of life. So as Epiphany, as we connect to them, we want to give them something and not take from them. And we don't want to give them no cheesy crumbs. We don't want to give them no leftovers. We want to give them the best unto the best. Proverbs says, lending unto the, Lord, lending unto the poor is lending unto the Lord. We got to give them something special, y'all. They don't got all the fake, free mess they can handle. And it's proven nothing. They don't come to some things because they don't want to be hurt again. They don't want to be let down or abused again. People are fragile, broken, jacked up. Sometimes they think they found this alternative fulfillment. So they say, I don't need to come. Many women that we went on the block struggled with Jesus because he was a man and man had did them dirty so they did better to date women now. One said a man will always do you dirty. That's why she's with women now. So her reality of fooling with Jesus wouldn't make sense because she's assumed based on her logic that he would let her down too. So you and I have to have a missional passion you can't do that half-hearted. Ain't no half-stepping in the kingdom of God. We must, through our engagement, have a passion, a burning desire to see them in a saving relationship with Jesus and see their bellies full and see them owning homes and not renting, banking and not living from paycheck to paycheck, healthy meals and not just that crazy food across the street. We decide to see healthy marriages at Epiphany, healthy lives, healthy relationships centered in the gospel. We must be passionate, not patronizing, in our, in our comprehensive approach to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. Just like those 12 in the first century, those 12 awesome apostles, we have been enlisted by God to change the world. Sometimes, let me just give you a reminder. You and I have been saved 
And the gospel didn't come to handle a little issue. The gospel came to handle some deep, dark separationalism that you and I could not handle on our own. Darkness is dark. Evil is evil. Separation is real. So when the gospel comes, it radically changed our lives forever. The gospel changes everything. Therefore, you and I have been called not just to be changed, but to be part of a, a change agent for God that we might change the world. I know the USA Today says it's getting worse, but the gospel says those who believe in me shall have eternal life and the transformation power of the gospel still works. It still works. I don't care if they shot last night. I don't care if there's more abandoned houses. The gospel has no brakes. It doesn't slow down. It has no pause button. And we have been called, you, if you've been saved, you have been called to change the world. If everybody else quits, we got to stand to change the world. If everybody else says it's not going to work, we declare these holy scriptures. It will. He says what? I am making all things new. That can't be blocked. There's no road bumps that can stop that. Don't forget you're a change agent to change the world. I know North Philly is bad. The gospel can change it. Amen. I know 50% of 33,000 people in this zip code are below poverty. That don't scare me. That just gives me fuel to worship and to go after and connect with missional passion to see his mission realized in the hearts of people walking around worshiping that used to hate him. Last point, we create, we must create an atmosphere of grace. So my first idea was we must be a people of radical welcome as we connect with our community. The second idea, we must cultivate authentic Missional passion. We got to be serious about it. No half-stepping. And the last idea is we must create an atmosphere of grace. There's still room at the table, y'all. There's still room at the table. There's still some seats available at the table. You see, the original, let me read verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes in the city and bring the poor and the crippled blind in the lane. The original invite made excuses and refused and rejected the invitation. So the man in the parable expands the invitation list. This is the picture of Israel rejecting the Messiah and the expansion of the invitations to the world. The Jews had received God's first invitation in the promise of the Old Testament, and they were committed to come. When God's servants summoned them, they refused to come by faith. Get with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. And I'm finishing up. And I want to run over this PowerPoint. Acts 2. 38. See, they refused to come by faith. They rejected the Messiah. The Jews did. Look what this says. For the, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So by faith we commit and we repent. And those who were far off, those outside of the covenant, they can come. I want you to notice that the host of this banquet, when the folk didn't show, he didn't cancel the banquet. He just expanded the guest list. The man throwing the banquet after receiving rejection from the original invites became angry and gave new instructions. He expanded the list to the cripple, the lame, the poor, the blind, in other words, the outcasts, the misfits. I love in the 70s, I'm a 70s baby. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is one of my favorite joints. I ain't talking about no corny cartoon, this new animation. I'm talking about the little fuzzy fake joints that you could tell had strings on them. Well, there's a, sex, there's a, there's a scene in Little Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer where Santa Claus had ran out of toys and was running out of time. So he went to the Misfit Island. Now, the Misfit toys had been there a long time, and they were sad because they had no family to connect to. Some of the dolls had one eye, three legs. The choo-choo train had like four wheels on the front and it just dragged in the back. One of the toys talked with a slur. How was a toy talk with a slur? <laughs> but Santa Claus, when he couldn't get those toys that he had for the people, he went and got those misfits. And he dropped those misfits off all over the world. And when folk opened them up, they was happy. Well, I'm one of those misfit toys. I'm not that pretty Cabbage Patch doll or that Power Ranger. I'm that raggedy, broken down G.I. Joe with one arm and the head missing. But God finds value in the misfit. He's calling the misfit. Because though those toys on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was broken, the difference is when we're broken, we come to him and he makes us whole by his blood. He makes us whole with his spirit. He makes us whole. And that you are even saying amen to that, you ought to have that same passion for those who are afar off. And you got to connect, you got to grab and get to those folk. Don't shut the banquet down. Expand it to the misfits, the ones who are not exactly like you. He sent his servant to the streets, to the lanes of the city, to get the outcasts. See, those streets and lanes, that's the obvious um, immediate area. That word streets there in the Greek, it means the main streets, the broad streets, the obvious mission field. You know, your regular mission field, your job, your neighborhood, your block. But then he says the hedges and highways. That means out the city altogether. Those that were all the way out the city. In, 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 the, in the geography of, of, the, of, of Jerusalem, there would be a, a street almost like an alley, because they didn't want the lame, crippled, blind, poor people walking straight through, because they would give a bad image near the temple. So they had these little lanes that went around the city, like I-76, and they would go around the city. Well, in those streets, those were some rough streets. And so he sent the servant 
to those rough streets, the highways and the hedges, and he knew where the outcasts were. Operative word go. You and I can't expect them to come here. We can't expect because we got awesome worship, great pastor, um, no air condition, and um, awesome events, banging webpage, great people who love Jesus, that they're just going to show up. We got to go to the alleys, the hedges, and we have to invite. We have to create an atmosphere of grace. One where people who don't feel like they belong, feel like they belong. Because I don't know if you know, they belong here. The worst of them belong here. We'll take the murderer. We'll take the former molester. We'll take the rapist. We'll take them here because we believe God can transform them. Do you believe God can change anyone? I believe that. So don't be scared at the sin. You know, folks say, if I come in that church, we'll burn up. No, we won't. That ain't happened ever. You ain't bigger than the gospel. You're not bigger than Jesus. The gospel transforms. It has not lost its power. It's ever effective today. But we, in practical ways, have to live that out with life and lips. And we have to connect. We got to connect. The atmosphere of grace. An atmosphere of grace that gives room for people to make a decision. See, some people come here, and I'm finishing, on their last leg. Some people come here saying, if something don't happen today, I'm just through. Some people come here suicidal. Don't be fooled. Homicidal. Depressed. On the brink of divorce. Exploring all types of religions. They come here hurting. Wrestling with homosexuality. Wrestling with pornography. And wrestling with all types of stuff. So when they land here, we want to make sure that we're not the place where they say... I went there and nobody loved me. Nobody said hi. I tried God, but nobody at that church on 17th and Diamond even said hi. They were too busy worshiping God, speaking to one another to say anything or see that I was hurting. This atmosphere of grace is, must come intentionally and passionately from the covenant community that any and all that walk through that door, that we missionally engage them and create an atmosphere. See, folk don't... Folk ain't coming to walk through the doctrine of justification when you're about to think you're about to be on a divorce. Folk is coming looking for a hug. They're looking for a doggone sandwich. They're looking for you to say, how can I, can you come to my house? They're looking for the simple love of anyone. Obama got elected on the, on the slogan of hope. We, the gospel offers greater hope than what any man could ever offer. A whole country, Republicans, who don't even fool states that were normally Republican voted for Obama on the idea of hope. I want to encourage you, we offer a greater hope than a better budget. <laughs> we offer a greater hope than cleaner streets. We offer a greater hope than that. We offer the hope. For all humanity, not just a hope, the only hope for humanity. We got to passionately create an atmosphere of grace, not just individually, but collectively. And my last piece, he says, and compel them to come. And I'm done that for sure. Compel, persuade passionately, 
as a covenant community, we must create such an atmosphere that people are compelled. Often this passage is taken individually. Like, that was some reason for me to beat you up, to tell you to turn or burn. Like, force them to come. You're going to, if you die right now, where you going? Heaven or hell? Y'all know those crazy stuff. Turn or burn. That's not, that's not this passage. This word compel means to passionately persuade. It means be forcible without using force. That's a weird word in the Greek. It means that the offer of the gospel through the love of Jesus, when they see the passion, the authentic reality, the authentic, the realness of how you actually believe it, that's compelling. Not just individually, but when they walk through the door, might we holistically, comprehensively, we use that word a lot, compel them. When they walk through this door, might they walk out and say, man, them folk love Jesus. And they love me. Our hope lies in the, in the graciousness of our host. And we, as a covenant community, as a church, must passionately pursue people and connect with them. I'm going to walk through this PowerPoint for about seven to eight minutes to explain what I think that looks like as I talked about that with Pastor E and others. And um, again, I'm so excited to be here and to walk this through. So let me pray and close and move into the next piece. Father, we thank you. We thank you if there's one who is seeking that, such a compassion as that, that they would find it here at Epiphany. But not just in these walls, but they would find it in Christ Jesus. And that we would share that with them graciously and willingly and happily. So God, um, we pray as we move into this next phase, we thank you for your word. And we pray that if someone here that's been touched, God, we pray that they make a decision for you today. And we pray as those who believe um, that we might hear this challenge and respond with worship and obedience. In Christ's name, amen.